The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to This Is Working. On this show, we talk to leaders who are helping us rethink trends and reshape the way we see our world. Today, my guest is Maurice Jones. Maurice has spent his career committed to closing the economic divide of the United States. He served as Virginia's Secretary of Commerce. He's been Deputy Secretary of the U.S. Department of Housing. And until last month, he led an organization aimed at creating opportunities in communities across the nation. Now Maurice is the CEO of 110, a coalition made up of dozens of the United States' top CEOs. Their challenge that they've set for themselves is over the next 10 years to train, hire, and promote 1 million Black Americans who have not completed four-year degrees. The goal, create generational wealth by getting more people into good jobs. I started by asking Maurice to share more of the 110 mission and why it began. Here's our conversation. 110 is a coalition of now about 43 companies from around the country in different industries who've made a big commitment. Hire, train, advance a million Blacks who don't yet have four-year degrees into family-sustaining careers in the next 10 years, thus 110. It started out of really what happened last year, right? We had a conversion of a health pandemic that had a disproportionate impact on communities of color, particularly black communities. We had a recession which had that same adverse disproportionate impact. And then, as you know, we had the deaths of Breonna Taylor, Armand Arbery, among others, and in particular, the killing of George Floyd in broad daylight so that we could all see. Uh, What happened is Ken Frazier and some others from uh, Merck and uh, American Express, Ken Chenault, Jenny Rometty from um, IBM, Kevin Scherer, formerly of Amgen, Charles Phillips of Infor and Oracle, brought this corporate coalition together and said, look, let's do something that we can do that will be bold, ambitious, sustainable, and effective in addressing this uh, racial wealth and other disparity gap that we have in the country that's threatening the United States of America, if you will. And what they came up with was, let's use the power of jobs to put people on a sustainable pathway to the middle class in America. And they chose black talent without four-year degrees because 78% of black talent right now does not have a four-year degree. I should also add that over 60%, close to 65% of the workforce doesn't have a four-year degree. So the goal is make the middle class accessible to people who do not have four-year degrees, which is the bulk of the American workforce right now. And would you explain how this works? How do you actually do it? Yeah. The biggest piece of this is a commitment on the part of the companies to make these opportunities available, both new jobs and promotions and advancements. 
And a particular way in which the companies are going about doing this is they are actually looking at their job requirements. And in particular, focusing on those job requirements where the four-year degree is a part of it. And they're really going to make tough, skeptical choices about removing that four-year requirement where it's not really related to the actual jobs. So the first piece of it, Dan, is moving your hiring and your promotion paradigm to one that's based on skills. Very doable companies have been doing it. And in fact, we've got companies such as IBM that make up the coalition that have been doing it for years. That's the first thing. The second piece of it is working directly with talent developers, community colleges, online virtual talent developers, not-for-profits, programs that companies are already running like apprenticeships in meeting, matching that demand with the skills that those programs can impart on Black talent. And then the third part is developing that pipeline of Black talent, both as new hires and that are already in the companies who can be upskilled and reskilled for hiring and for promotions. So it's really about building that ecosystem, Dan, starting with the job demand from the uh, employers, moving to the talent developers and Black talent. And I should have added wraparound supports are also a big piece of this. So support with mentorship and sponsorship, support with childcare. That's how you actually get this done and get it done at scale, both in person and through a technology platform that 110 is launching so that we can have it as a virtual as well as an in-person ecosystem. It's very ambitious. The first part, I understand how you can do that. My understanding is that these are mostly CEOs who are getting on board. It's not people somewhere within the organization who are signing on to the 110 challenge or 110 goals is actually the CEOs who are, who are committing to it? It is the CEOs who are committing to it. Obviously, they're bringing in their CHROs sure. and others, but this is a CEO commitment. The CEOs are also committing to becoming part of a community of practice. And within that community of practice, which is basically a forum that will meet about four times a year, these CEOs are going to come together, monitor what they're doing, take best practices from one another, wrestle with what's working and what's not working, and actually look at ways that this coalition can be impactful, not just for those 43, but for the corporate community more generally. Got it. So would you explain a little bit more about the talent development piece? You get rid of the four-year degree requirements, you start focusing on skills. How do you make sure Black Americans are the ones who are applying for these jobs, that they know about the jobs, and that they are then getting the jobs. Just like we've got the 43 CEOs and 43 corporations who've committed to this, we are also aggregating the talent developers who will be the sources, the primary sources of this Black talent. And what we're doing with them through a process of endorsement, we are actually looking at their track record with respect to preparing Black talent. Their track record was with respect to being able to get people, Black talent in particular, into jobs and also through an internal mobility piece. So we're going to be endorsing talent developers who will become part of the 110 network. 
those talent developers will bring black talent with them. So you're talking about community colleges, as I mentioned, you're talking about nonprofits, you're talking about for-profits. So that's one way in which we are going to be ensuring that black talent both are getting prepared for new jobs and also we're pairing them with the companies to work with talent that they already have within their walls to upskill and reskill for new opportunities already. The other piece of it is we're going to be marketing, branding, doing public education directly to black talent in markets all over the country, New York, Atlanta, Dallas, LA, San Francisco. So we're going to be reaching out to black talent in addition to catching them through black talent uh, developers. We're gonna be reaching out to them directly. So we'll reach out to the NAACP, the Urban League, the local CDC to make sure that they're aware of these opportunities, to make sure that they're aware of the skills needed, and also to make sure that they're aware of the talent developers who can impart those skills uh, on them or with them so that they can compete successfully for these jobs. Got it. And, and so what made you decide this was something that you wanted to do? You're new in this role. You've had a number of government positions and, and you were the, the publisher of the Virginia Pilot. Why was this the next right step in your career? I want to attack and solve, Dan, with partners, the racial wealth, health and opportunity gaps that America confronts. In my mind, it's the biggest risk to the American project. And this issue or this effort goes to the heart of that gap. It's about quality jobs that are accessible and attractive to Black talent. If you solve for Black talent, you solve for everybody in America. It's the history of the country. And so I saw this as a solution to one of the fundamental root causes of disparities in the country. And I also saw this incredible coalition behind it that's unlike any coalition I've seen before dedicated to this cause. That's what attracted me to this. I believe that we have a chance to be transformative with respect to corporate hiring practices, with respect to Black talent getting on a pathway to family-sustaining careers, and with respect to generations to come also being impacted in a positive way here. So for me, this was an easy, easy answer to an invitation to join a group that can transform the country. And Maurice, I'd love for you to expand on what you said. Um, if you solve for Black talent, you solve for everybody. What did you mean by that? So look, 65% of the American workforce does not have a four-year degree. You solve for black talent without a four-year degree. What you're doing is you're making the corporate hiring, the corporate promotion, the, the corporate uh, advancing paradigm that we have in the country, you're making it inclusive, you're making it more equitable. Inevitably, yes, black talent are gonna benefit, but all talent, will benefit because what you're doing is changing the entire corporate labor market or labor market practices to make them more inclusive, right? And so what I was suggesting to you is 
we know in the country, right? If you look at America's history, when you make the country one that is more accessible to black folks, you're actually, yes, you're making it more accessible to women for voting. You're making it more accessible to folks in rural areas for broadband. We know that if you solve problems that are plaguing black talent, that you're going to impact most folks in America, particularly those who are underserved right now by the systems in the country. That's what I mean by that. And when you talk to uh, these talent development agencies, the community colleges, have they not had this ability to see the job openings, to find the places? They've been training talent for a very long time. Is the difference here is that you are going to bring these job openings, more job openings, and you bring them to the places that are developing the talent? The difference here is intentionality. Hmm. You have companies who are saying, we are going to intentionally target opportunities for Blacks without four-year degrees. We're going to intentionally partner with these talent developers to serve Black talent without four-year degrees. We're going to intentionally remove four-year degree requirements from these jobs. The difference here is intentionality from the employer side and being able to match that with talent developers, this is a true game changer. We have not had this kind of commitment, this kind of intentionality, this kind of focus, and this kind of boldness about the numbers that we want to hit in my lifetime, certainly, and I, I would venture to say in any, in any part of the country's history right now. So what you've got is a moment where you have a commitment and an intentionality that we have just not had before. That's the real difference here. That's the opportunity. You talk about the big numbers. The fact that you even have numbers is a difference. How are you going to measure this? Uh, and how are you going to hold your coalition accountable to meeting those numbers, will you be publishing results also? We will be publishing results, and Dan, I'm glad you asked that. That community of practice that I mentioned mm -hmm. is an, a vehicle for mutual accountability, because we're gonna go over the numbers, we're going to actually find out what's working and what's not working, and we're gonna take hard looks at how we get better. Uh, so the community of practice, and we're going to be tracking data. The companies have agreed to provide us data. We will be reporting on our data. Yeah, we're. this is, again, this is an unprecedented commitment. These companies are saying, yes, I'm going to make a commitment to numbers. And yes, I'm going to be part of the community of practice that holds myself and my community of corporate partners and allies accountable as well. And we are well underway. We're going to be tracking this both manually and through that technology that I mentioned. And we're going to publish this stuff. Absolutely. Great. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days. All showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. 
Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Maurice, we talk a lot about getting people into jobs, Black Americans into jobs who do not have four degrees. Are we placing too much emphasis or schools placing too much emphasis on getting those degrees, in in your opinion? It's a matter of understanding what you need to do a job and to do a job well and making sure that we're not using the four-year degree as a screening out tool, which often happens, right? And so what this effort is about, it's, it's certainly no sort of commentary or denigration of a four-year degree. It's really about saying, look, let's do the hard work. Let's look at the skills that we need in order to do the work. And let's make sure that the job requirements are about skills. And oh, by the way, it is possible that one pathway to those skills is through the training that you pursue with respect to a four-year degree. But let's not make that the only pathway. There are other pathways to these skills. So the key is focus on identifying the skills and let's allow multiple pathways to those skills to flourish. That's really what this is all about is we have to have multiple pathways. Otherwise, if for some reason you can't get that four-year degree because of money, because of access, because of a blemish somewhere that came up, if you can't get access to that four-year degree and that's the only pathway to those skills that we are recognizing, We're shutting out a lot of talent, leaving a lot of talent on the sideline. So it's really about multiple pathways to skills necessary to be excellent in the workplace. Got it. So we have the jobs, we have the skills. Talk to me about the community support. You mentioned this idea that you have to surround people with help, support, talking about childcare, I assume transportation would be part of that. How are you making sure that's part of this? We are working with talent developers, some of which... Uh, will bring these um, wraparounds, as we call it, to the table with them, whether it's childcare or whether it's mentoring. We also will be partnering with community-based groups. These wraparounds usually have to come from organizations or individuals who are proximate to the employee, right? So just like we're aggregating employers, aggregating talent developers, we will also be aggregating wraparound supports. And they will come from multiple sources. They will come from the talent developers. They will come from community-based organizations who do childcare, 
who are in the business of helping folks understand the transportation solutions they have, who are working with them on housing issues. That, to your point, that requires us to form partnerships with community-based organizations as well, because uh, uh, a number of these wraparound supports will be provided there. It also requires us to make sure we're forging partnerships with the public sector, local government, state government, and national government. Again, potential partners for us with respect to wraparound supports. This requires juggling so many different organizations, so many different cultures, <laughs> different states, cities, different types of jobs. You've only been in this role for a few months now. When you lay out what you need to accomplish in the next six months, what, what does that look like? What do you put as your top priority? What are things that you can punt until a little bit later? What does it look like on the inside? Yeah. So I mentioned that technology platform. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to do this at scale. And to your point, we have to be able to bring multiple partners together within an ecosystem. The technology platform is a big piece of that because on that technology platform, our plan is to have the jobs with requirements, the talent developers who can look at those requirements and, and include courses and certifications and licenses and black talent. We will also have pieces of that platform that are linking the wraparound supports. So a big piece of my six month aspiration is to get that technology platform up and running. A second big piece is we gotta grow, we've got 43 companies and I'm delighted about that, but we need many more. The biggest signal to the market that will be important for the success of this is a large signal of demand, jobs and skills. And so we wanna grow the number of companies. We also gotta grow the number of talent developers. Those are all pieces of what I wanna do in the next six months. The last piece is there are locations throughout the country where we want to launch 110 ecosystems. Dallas, Atlanta, New York, West Coast. And so launching these local 110 ecosystems is also on my, on my six-month list, if you will. Great. Uh, I could see this starting off with the bang, people getting, you're, you're filling jobs. How are you making sure that it's not just getting people in the door, but as you talk about this idea of generational wealth, of people being able to be in good jobs, that means staying in the jobs. How are you going to make sure that they can actually stay in and get promoted? This is another piece that makes me so excited about the 110 Coalition is the companies recognize from the very start that this had to be about more than hiring, that in fact, promotion and internal mobility had to be as big, if not a bigger piece of this. A huge piece of what we're tackling in the community of practice is what the companies need to do to make their cultures ones in which black talent can thrive. And so, we're, we're going to be looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion vehicles and techniques and the cultures within these companies, mentorship, sponsorship, working closely with hiring managers. This will be a big component of the work. 
Absolutely. And, and we're going to measure ourselves by it. In fact, I think my hypothesis right now is the biggest opportunity is not new hiring. It's actually how we take Black talent that's already in these companies and achieve internal mobility. What are we doing? And this, again, goes back to corporate culture, amongst other things. What are we doing to make sure that there are pathways to promotions, executive jobs, once we get the talent in the, in, the, in the companies. The beautiful thing is that's a big piece of the work that the 110 Coalition has committed to from day one. Do you yet know what are the skills that are most in demand? What skills would you tell people to be uh, attaining right now? Here's the interesting thing about that. When I look at the coalition and the multiple sectors and the jobs that we are seeing, here's the hypothesis that we, the bold hypothesis that we're going to be pushing for. Assume that all jobs at all levels within every company do not require a four-year degree and then put on where the four-year degree is absolutely required. So we're actually seeing IT jobs, we're seeing uh, sales jobs, we're seeing health technician jobs, we're, we're seeing apprenticeships in the trades, apprenticeships in other sectors. We're actually seeing the opportunity. And that's why we're, we're trying to be bold about this. We're saying we got to break glass here. We cannot say that certain jobs without looking at them are off the radar for this effort. We're saying put every job on the radar to start with and then go from there and decide the ones that really need the four-year degree. That's the bold kind of thinking that we're pushing ourselves uh, to engage in here. That's so interesting. And the fact that you as a Rhodes Scholar are the one pushing this idea that it is beyond degrees, that you have to go and look at skills, and this is true no matter what your uh, educational attainment is. You're an interesting person to be the one making the case for that because you have the degrees. Well, well think about it, Dan. I got it. So my undergraduate degree is a political science degree, right? The notion that my four-year political science degree makes me more qualified for a tech job than somebody who's done a 12-week boot camp in that tech is crazy. I know I'm not, right? So the notion that we would have a four-year degree requirement on some of these jobs where a chump like me could could actually at least be heard and someone who's got the skills from experience is exhibit A for what we need to change. All right, I have one more question I'd like to ask everyone, which is about your career advice. What do you say when you have young people who come to you and say, look, I want to, you've done, you've been in the private sector, you've been in the public sector, you nonprofits, you for profits, you know, how do I follow a path like you have achieved? What, what what's, your, what's the advice you give? I've been blessed, but I, I give a couple pieces of pieces of advice. One is aggressively seek out mentors. Seek out mentors who are, by the way, older and have more experience, and that you invest in the relationship so you can actually have someone to help you navigate the journey. That's that's number one. Number two. Nothing beats work 
and work and work. Try to outwork everybody in whatever you do. It will be recognized. The third piece of it is, and this is more of a spirit or, the, or an attitude. You got to come at every opportunity open to being transformed, to becoming a new creature, if you will. Stay open to every opportunity and stay hungry to be transformed by them. They, that will open doors to you that you can't imagine. It certainly opened doors for me. And I honestly have to also say for me, um, you know, grandparents and my God have played huge roles in everything that I am right now. So those would be the things I would try to share with folks. That's great. Well, Maurice, thank you. And now you're off to try to transform the lives of 1 million yeah. Black Americans, get uh, all these jobs created. And you got a 10-year uh, roadmap to do it. So we will keep checking in with you over time and see how you're doing against those numbers. Appreciate your interest. And yeah, I, the, I won't be bored. There won't be any sleep in the next 10 years, but it'll be a lot of fun and, and it's rewarding. I, I feel blessed to have the chance to try to contribute. That was 110 CEO Maurice Jones. Maurice talked a lot about skills-based hiring, and it's a topic that is absolutely unavoidable inside LinkedIn. We spend so much time talking about what skills are in demand and how people are getting their skills and, and what skills employers need to fill. But when I talk to professionals, a lot of times they don't think this way. They don't think about their careers as being a set of skills that they're developing or a skills path that they're on. But increasingly, that's kind of where the world is going. So I would love to hear from you. How do you think employers should make the most of a skills-first world? How are you doing it? How are you thinking about what skills you need to acquire, or what skills you already have, and then how do you make sure other people know that you have those skills? Share your tales with me on LinkedIn using the hashtag, this is working. What you write, what you say, the videos you post will help other people recognize how much they are capable of doing and how they should think about their own careers. As always, to get more news and insights on our changing world, you can also follow our main LinkedIn page, which you can find by searching for LinkedIn News. Please share the podcast episode with a friend who is looking for their next work opportunity. You can get a link on your favorite podcast platform or share the newsletter you'll find on my profile. Many thanks. This is Working as a production of LinkedIn. The podcast was produced by Sarah Storm with help from Dave Pond and Michaela Greer. Joe DiGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original video and audio. Dave Pond is our technical director. I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Stay strong. See you soon.